Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and Anne Guest. Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode number 80. You're with myself, Paul Spain. Nate Dunn. And Sir Mahmoud. Great to have you guys in the studio. Good to be here. Thanks. Now, tonight, lots going on, as always in the uh, in the tech world. Uh, first up, a uh, bit of news from Apple over the last few days. Yes, um, a couple of different bits of news. Um, we've got Mountain Lion that just came out, and um, I think there was about 3 million downloads of that within the first few days, which is uh, another Apple record, according to them. Um, I did talk to the Apple PR guys from New Zealand, and uh, they told me specifically they couldn't go into details about New Zealand download numbers, but uh, we can probably guess by the Twitter stream and the Facebook updates that there's quite a few people out there with Mountain Lion on their computers right now. Is it a pretty quick download? I'm assuming Apple's got... Uh, I'm not an Apple user, so I'm quite a novice in this area. I'm assuming they've got a local node here that everyone connects to, or how does it... It's a pretty quick download, but it is big. Right? Yeah, I think so. it's about 4 gigabytes. Mm. It took mm. me about 50 or 40 minutes, and then wow. another 20 minutes on the commute to work to like get it to uh, update, and then it stopped for about 10 minutes, and then it started again, 15, and then I had a new OS on my computer and I could hardly tell because it doesn't look very different at all. Is it a paid upgrade so you actually have to pay for it or is it included as part of the... It, it is paid but what we're, what we're seeing really is a change to these lower and lower cost upgrades and so we've seen this with Apple have been driving down the price of their upgrades um, which to a degree there's, there's, you know, it's fair enough because their upgrades are getting you know, smaller. We get pretty regular OS updates from, uh, from Apple for, you know, say for every one Windows update, there can be, you know, usually at least two uh, Apple updates, uh, usually with smaller changes in them, right? Yeah, and, and you could argue that um, that the, for $29, what you get is worth it. But then again, there'll be people out there, as always, that will say the changes are too small and not worth the fee. Um, personally, I do think there's some exciting stuff in here. I, I, I do like the addition of messages because now I can kind of talk to people with iPhones, which is quite a few people that I know uh, on the go and also to other Macs. And it's kind of like Skype, but a bit more ubiquitous for the people in my uh, Circle. Yeah, yeah, my circle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there, there's definitely some some good benefits in there. The, the main one uh, I've been appreciating, and I've mentioned this one before, is uh, is the AirPlay support. Being able to screen mirror from your um, from your MacBook Pro onto uh, you know onto a TV or projector if you've got an Apple TV. Uh, what I wasn't aware of before, because uh, my machine's you know reasonably new, is that you have to have a reasonably new uh, MacBook Pro to do that. So um, I think it's early 2011 is uh, supported completely onwards from that. And pretty uh, if you have a well specced one of those 17 inches and 15 inches that uh, that are quite expensive from the year before, it's also it'll work okay. Yeah, so sort of eighteen months or, yeah. or so. So it's it's worth checking if you're expecting that feature. Um, the other th- thing of interest for those who are re- who who really want that feature, but maybe you don't have a Mac or you've got an older one, um, is there's another product called Air Parrot that's available. Does something very very similar to an Apple TV, and it's ten or fifteen US dollars. Um, is that an app for your Mac or that that's an app which you can get download for Windows and also for um, for earlier versions of OS X. Uh, so that's that's quite cool. I haven't um, I haven't had a play with it yet, um, but the the reviews and so on I've seen on it look pretty good. Uh, I'm interested in how that's going to work on Windows 8. Uh, it's not officially supported on Windows 8 just yet, uh, but. Um, with the low cost of the Apple TV, that sort of feature is, uh, uh, yeah, is pretty cool. Um, and also, Apple have announced uh, a couple of new products that might be. Well, I think there's rumors that Apple will be releasing a couple of new products in mid-September. Yeah, no official announcements, right? But there's uh, there's an Apple uh, press event uh, supposedly happening on the 12th of September, and uh, word is that could uh, could include an iPhone 5. Yes, and a possible uh, seven or eight-inch Apple tablet, another iPad, but a mini version. Um, what do you guys think of the idea of uh, Apple's seven-inch tablet? I mean, I well, know Steve we, Jobs we had a, we had a bit of a debate <laughs> around this last week, and uh, the the consensus 
uh, seemed to be from um, from Nate and Zara's perspective that um, that this was unlikely. Um, I was more on the side of I could I could see this happening. So um, yeah, but it's what. How, how about you, Sim? Are you uh, you seem to be quite like the smaller uh, tablets, right? Yeah, um, I was actually just using Paul yours, uh, the Nexus Seven, and um, I was just saying before how I, I love the form factor. I love how small it is, and as somebody who reads a lot of uh, eBooks on not a ebook reader, but on tablets, uh, that form factor is great. So, and I, I always like the idea of smaller, cheaper, more uh, industrious tablets. It's uh, good for me and keeps my backpack lighter. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's great to see these devices getting smaller and lighter. Um, now, in that vein, there's a few there's a few devices we've been we've been looking at actually today. Um, last week we mentioned briefly the Samsung Series Nine. Uh, this is the new one, which runs the um, the third generation uh, core um, in, in, Intel uh, processor, the i five in this case, uh, also known as Ivy Bridge, and it's one point one six kilos. And I've just been loving using this uh, this ultrabook. It is really, really nice and and sleek, aluminium. Um, and yeah, this is—it's a really, really cool laptop. It's a bit of a change for me because I'm used to having uh, a laptop that docks and and so on. So I haven't actually have it had it replacing my main machine in the office. Uh, but as far as a laptop goes, it's it's really awesome, and it and it does have that benefit of not being a big weight to carry around with you. It's so skinny. It's actually got no Ethernet port. It's. If you put an Ethernet port on it, it would actually be thicker than the whole laptop combined, which is incredible. That's like the MacBook Air, where, where you actually need to buy an Apple proprietary um, Ethernet dongle. Yeah, the nice thing is it comes with that in the box, though, so it's not it's not something you have to go out and buy extra. It does come come with that dongle. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you know we're moving in that direction where we're moving to these smaller and lighter devices. That there is going to have to be another way of handling. Um, network connections and whether that's the gigabit Wi-Fi stuff that we've talked about recently uh, or you know whether there's just a fat part where you where you jack that cable in whether there's some sort of um, more universal type of docking or docking can happen at, at really high speed um, in another way and then you have a separate device that hooks you in um, yeah, I'm I'm not sure what the best answer to that is, but you know, with these new new tablets coming through and really sleek ultrabooks, there just isn't isn't room for an Ethernet connection to uh, to plug you into the network, is there? What sort of specs has it got? Really like memory and hard drive, so it's got a solid state drive. Yeah, so that one's got a 128 uh, gig solid state drive, uh, four gigs of RAM, yep. and a 1.7 uh, gigahertz um, ultra low uh, voltage. Um, i5 CPU, so yeah, it's a real the real low power one. I can see the difference with it running off SSD, and I don't have a lot of experience with um, so I'll say hard drives, but it boots up so quickly. You can reboot it, it in about twenty seconds from actually crazy. being in, and this is with Windows Seven, so Windows Eight would be quicker. You choose you choose shut down and restart in Windows, and then twenty seconds later you're you're back in Windows. Hmm. Uh, so it's a very very snappy machine. So. Um, yeah, full credit to Samsung. I think it's a it's a really stunning device. The Series Nine that came out last year was a was a great ultrabook, and I think sort of set the way in terms of um, you know stylish, thin and light PC laptops. And this just takes it to the next level. Uh, the other thing is it's really quiet. I haven't um, noticed the fans firing up at all. There are some very small fans that you can you can see. Uh, but um, yeah, they they don't generally seem to be firing up and making a whole lot of noise or anything like that. Is this something either of you guys could use? Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I suppose as a business user, I'd really want to confirm exactly how a dock would work because um, I've got and also I've got three screens at work, so I don't know how exactly that would work with the the laptop. But yeah, it, a docking would be my big feature. It looks like there's a mini HDMI to HDMI port on the side over here. So I'm guessing you'd have to kind of have a cable sticking out from your monitor <coughs> and maybe some sort of splitter for multiple monitors. But um, I, I could definitely use it as somebody who does a lot of word processing um, and needs to be at, at a conference or something along those lines. You'd, it, I, I used to like using a tablet for that kind of work and um, with a little case keyboard, but 
it's gotten very clunky and um, I always keep dropping it. It's kind of a waste now. I, I, I need to go back to like a, a old school like laptop. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I was talking to one of the guys here um, about a conference that he, he was at recently, the CIO conference. And uh, he made the comment that uh, last year when he went there, he uh, he noticed how many people had iPads and that, you know, that the iPad was sort of the cool new thing that everybody had. And then he said uh, when he looked around this year, there was a bit of a change. The iPads were still there, but they were all like your one is there some, um, you know, in a, a cover with a keyboard. Um, you know they've got a uh, the Logitech keyboard option or or whatever. Everyone was trying to had had you know I guess got to a level of um, uh, maturity with the use of the iPad and realised actually I need a I need a little bit more. Now I'm I'm exaggerating saying everyone, but um, you know his comment was that there seemed to have been quite a big sort of sea change between the uh, two years. So I'm I'm curious what we will see over the next year or two in terms of what people will actually find is the most appropriate and comfortable uh, device to work on will it be one of these um, you know surface style uh, tablets or the Samsung series 7 tablet will it be um, the iPad or another you know variation of the iPad from Apple or will everyone move back to uh, to laptops and the really thin and light laptops um, or or something where you can turn your laptop into a tablet and turn it back into a laptop again. I know when I went to Barcamp, which is now Gather, the sort of unconference that's held out at Botany College when the iPads first came out, a lot of the presenters were using the iPads and the, it just brought that sort of extra cool factor to presentations. And when I did my presentation this year, I was going to present off my Galaxy Tab to be cool, but it was just too hard. <laughs> it was so much easier just to use it, plug a laptop in and, and use it. And I think I've noticed something similar with um, Gather, which was Barcamp. Um, yeah, a lot more people are going back to laptops. I think the sort of unique cool phase of, of tablets is sort of coming down a little bit and people are thinking actually what's more functional rather than with the cool factor. I don't know, what do you guys think? I think um, function, you know, is is what becomes important and, you know, we were just actually tossing around the, um, the Lenovo... Um, ThinkPad tablet there, and that that one runs um, Android Ice Cream Sandwich, and you know this is again a, a bit of a variation on um, on what we're used to as a tablet because it also comes with a stylus, uh, and so to me the general user interface on um, on that ThinkPad tablet with, with Android was disappointing. But when I jumped into where I could use the stylus and do and do uh, handwriting and so on, suddenly there was an added dimension of usefulness for it. Uh, so yeah, I think it's got to come down to it. Actually, these devices actually being really practical for uh, you know for everyday use. What What's exciting is before there used to be you have a, either a desktop for your work in the cubicle or you have a laptop. Now you have all these different choices and you have hybrid choices and you have mobility choices, and that's exciting because now you're not just somebody that has to have a laptop because that's a company issue. You could have uh, a tablet with a smartphone or just a laptop, and it, it gives you a lot more breathing room for whatever is your preference. And uh, that that kind of sh shows me that companies are maturing to the idea that not every single worker is like every other single worker. Everybody has an individual need that they need to have addressed. That that's a good point. One thing I've uh, I've come across is that um, some some companies are I guess delegating that responsibility of difference. So they're they're incorporating some sort of bring your own uh, bring your own device model, uh, so people can bring some of their own equipment into the workforce with certain rules and so on around what they can do, and they'll give them a company issued uh, machine that um you know in the in the case of um uh you know a lot of organizations that's still a windows xp type machine so it's running a really really old operating system um and so instead of them giving the right thing to their uh their their users um they're sort of saying oh this is what we this is all we can deliver so yeah if you want anything modern and cool then you've got to actually have a second laptop or another device 
you know, you've got to bring your own to actually create a working environment that's useful for you. Yeah, and that raises the question of who pays for the insurance on that device. Is it a work device? Is it a consumer device? And uh, those questions aren't completely answered yet. And I guess. And do you want to have multiple devices <laughs> to carry around? Right, we're talking about getting thinner and lighter, and how nice it is just to carry around a little tablet. But if you've actually still got to carry around your, your corporate laptop as well, do, you know. <laughs> you know what'd be handy if I had like a USB disc that had my corporate. Uh, like desktop environment, I could just like plug it into any computer and it would just start with that on it. Uh, if only there was a solution like that, Paul. Yeah, that would be quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, that, that, that's a good point. And um, somewhere floating around here is the device we were looking at earlier uh, that I, I picked up um, at the Microsoft conference, which uh, is a, uh, it's a USB, it's effectively an SSD drive and a USB stick. So it's a USB uh, 3 uh, stick. Uh, running very very high speed um, and it's got 64 um, gigs worth of storage in it and that has uh, Windows 8 incorporated into it uh, and it's been built in such a way that you can uh, you can have your whole corporate installation on that drive and move it around from machine to machine so yeah it's going to be um, um, fun to see how different organizations make use of that uh, technology in Windows 8. I think they've called it Windows to go. Uh, and, you know, I guess it's, it's you know, it's brand new at, at the moment as a concept. Uh, it's been possible, of course, for years to install an operating system onto a, onto a USB, but this is done in such a way to really, uh, you know, secure that corporate build and to uh, abstract it from somebody's local machine. So if you... Uh, if you run that, um, if you run your your business's Windows 8 installation off that, you won't have access to the local PC files and so on. It's uh, it's quite secure. Um, yeah, so that look that looks like quite an interesting one. Um, now, what other devices have we got uh, floating around here? We've had the um, the Nokia 610. Now, Sim, you've had a little bit of a play around with this one as well. Yeah, um, I was reviewing it for the computer world issue that just came out over the weekend. Um, it's a good starter entry phone, but um, if for $459, I could recommend half dozen other phones, either Android or uh, maybe even go to a 710, a Nokia 710, which I think is actually cheaper now. I think you were telling me before it's about... Yeah, so the, um, the Lumia 610, I mean, it's very, very smooth and sort of slick compared to probably Android phones at a similar price point. I think you get a smoother experience. Um, but, yeah, it's coming in at 449, and we're now seeing um, the next Lumia up, the 710. Telecom have, uh, have, have dropped the price of that from 549 down to 399 now. Uh, so that makes that one a really attractive price point. But that's just on telecom. This is on uh, Vodafone. So this is the, I guess, the lowest cost, uh, you know, Windows phone available on uh, on Vodafone at the moment. Um, they also do have the, uh, they have Samsung uh, Omnia W as well, uh, which is at quite a good price point. I think um, uh, four nine nine or five four nine, yeah. um, for that one. So. Um, but yeah, really, I think it's it's nice and slick and smooth, like uh, most of the other Windows phones. Um, but what I noticed was uh, because this runs the cut down version of uh, Windows Phone, because it's got half the RAM of the other ones, it's got two fifty six megs. There are some limitations. Nate, you noticed that you tried to load up uh, Angry Birds. Shows how ridiculously technical I am when the first thing I do is load up Angry Birds. Um, yeah, it won't load because it's just not highly powered enough so and that's a big one for me a big deal breaker can't play angry birds not interested so yeah i think <laughs> microsoft i think it was last year at the end of last year they kind of uh, downgraded their minimum specs for windows phone yeah I, I was looking through the specs for the 610 and it is the absolute minimum that you can have i mean nokia built a terrific phone it works great with everything that the native apps on it especially the uh, nokia drive app which i actually quite like as a gps and that's drive. an awesome app yeah. nokia drive yeah and that and that and all the other um, standard Nokia apps, um, you know, are, ge are generally available for this. And there might be one or two that, that aren't grunty enough to run, but uh, most of them are all on there, right? Cool. Um, now, oh, the uh, the other point about the um, 
about this one and I've been using it for a few days. It's actually like it's a really nice nice handset, uh, you know, sort of from a from a field perspective, five megapixel camera and, you know, all the other usual sort of uh Windows phone uh, goodies or at least um most of them. Uh but we're giving one of these away to a listener. Ooh. Mm. What what do they have to do? Very good question, Sim. Thank you for asking. Um, so it's it's actually really easy, um, and we've also put this up on the NZ Tech Podcast um, site under episode um, uh, seventy nine and and eighty. The details are there. So uh, first up, um, follow us on one of our social media channels, or like us, or whatever, depending on what channel it is. Um, so uh, on uh, on Facebook, go to facebook dot com slash NZ Tech Podcast, uh, or on Twitter, NZ Tech Podcast on there. Uh, and then on one of those channels, just uh, just post something up about why you would like to win the uh, the Lumia 610 from uh, from NZ Tech Podcast uh, and Windows Phone NZ, who are um, p- promoting the uh, the contest as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks very much to uh, to Nokia uh, New Zealand for um, continuing to uh, fire handsets at, at us and uh, to offer this one. Uh, for uh, for our listeners, so uh, yeah, jump on jump on in there if you would like to uh, win one of those, or if you're looking for a handset to uh, to give to somebody else that you might happen to like. Um, now, other news: what else has been happening over the last few days? There was a um, bit of a hackers' fest uh, last week. Yeah, over in the US, DefCon. Um, which is always a great uh, read because there's always, when you bring together a group of hackers, the thing they want to do is one-up each other. And I think it was last year, there was a guy that had um, a cell receiver, a mini cell receiver, and he was able to pick up people's text messages. And his presentation was, this is what you texted today, which is you know quite cool. Uh, so do you know what's happened this year? So well, one of the things this year was they actually set up their own secure cell phone network. So everyone that attended got given a special cell phone that was using their own uh, their own network. Uh, and um, they, everyone was given a sort of a special modified um, uh, Android handset. Uh, and uh, as they sort of uh, connected on, their, uh, their name and, and details would pre-populate in the other phone. So everyone that was at the conference could actually connect with, uh, with each other over this network. But it was a a special secured um, uh, network ju- just just for that audience, which I thought was quite cool. I'm not sure around the uh, the legalities of setting up your own uh, your own mobile network for a few days, uh, but uh, but pretty cool. Uh, I think another interesting that thing that came out of this was uh, the protocol for going over VPN PPTP and the uh, MS hash. I think. Yeah. I, so uh, MS uh, chat. The Ch- two or something, I think. Um, so there's um, PPTP, which is a point-to-point tunneling protocol, uh, which is one a, a virtual private networking technology that's been around for a long time. And uh, for those that don't know, you know, a VPN is designed to provide a secure connection uh, from one point to another. So it might be for you to connect into your work, so that no one can see all of your confidential work information. Uh, it's similar similar technologies that we see when you uh, when you transact uh, on an internet banking website. Uh, you have a secure type of connection so that people can't uh, you know can't listen in and grab your password and see your bank balance and um, you know play with play with your money. Uh, but w- I guess what came out uh, this time was the bad news that uh, this particular uh, virtual private networking uh, protocol. Uh, which, which say has been around for a long time, um, is now reasonably easy to compromise, and so that means people can actually listen in on uh, on what's happening if they spend a little bit of money and jump through some hoops. Yeah. So uh, um, yeah, the security researcher with the coolest name ever, Moxie Marlinspike. I love created, it. Eh? Yeah, he created a little program called uh, Chapcrack, and that's able to listen in on the uh, the information that's sent over the protocol, um, and he revealed. Well, he didn't really reveal, but he was pointing out the the parts in Microsoft's uh, protocol that kind of look like they are a tough protocol to break, but are actually just fluffy layers that are meant to uh, uh, obfuscate, 
that fact that it isn't actually that strong. And uh, now, really popular products like uh, iPredator, they're looking at ways to fi- they're looking to migrate their protocols onto something else. Yeah. So I mean, it was probably good when all this stuff was developed, you know, a decade or or, or so back. But now the computing resources are such that uh, you can throw this data at it, and it can uh, it can get in and um, you know. And, and figure out how to bust it. So, Is this a similar sort of discovery? You know, when wireless first came out and we had WEP and everyone thought that was amazingly secure and then they found you could break it in, was it six or eight minutes or something? Ridiculously. Yeah, and, and I think also they had a um, they had a, um, some ways to break the um, WPA2 protocol also that was, that was shown off at, at DEF CON as well, which is, you know, one of the newer ones that... Uh, you know that that's what we tend to secure with uh, our wireless networks these days. Um, so yeah, it is a reminder that um, things aren't always as as secure as they seem. So, so to be one hundred percent secure, Paul, should we just unplug everything and stay offline? Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah we should hand deliver every message that we ever <laughs> need to communicate ever. Yeah, and we should just whisper quietly amongst ourselves. Mm. That's the one. Yeah. That's where technology is taking us. Um, now, locally, there's been a lot of competition over the past, um, well, particularly really since Two Degrees came into the market in terms of what's happening in the uh, mobile phone space. And we've seen recently that uh, Two Degrees and uh, and Vodafone in particular have uh, doubled their uh, texting plans. Uh, a lot of those, or a bunch of those plans have gone from uh, 2,500 texts to 5,000 a month. What Which are you going to r- do with 5,000 text messages a month, guys? Uh, ridic- well, find more friends, I suppose. A ridiculous amount, but I wonder if it's... Um, I know in our industry with web hosters that a lot of the US providers give you ridiculous um, bandwidth and storage requirements, knowing that 99% of their customers are never going to hit them, but they're really nice numbers that the marketing teams can throw around so I'm assuming Vodafone's doing the same it just looks cool knowing that 99% of the users aren't going to send 5,000 or even close to 5,000 messages a month because we're moving away from text aren't we do you guys send more text than you used to or less um, I've got a few friends now so I'm t- sending texts but uh, <laughs> oh, congr- uh, <laughs> congratulations <laughs> thank you all thank you I'll, um, I'll try and send you a text yeah. more often um, but where I'm going is using my carrier as a dumb pipe for data I, I don't make phone calls if I can help it I try and block any phone call if I can do that and instead I send iMessages or I send uh, Kick or WhatsApp or things like that mm. and I, I communicate over Twitter and I communicate sometimes over Facebook but I don't really send text messages unless it's my absolute last option and w- where I've f- found this is taking me is uh, the two degrees twenty dollars for one gigabyte of data plan I, I try and keep to that keeps me on a good budget I get a gigabyte of data, and I don't need much else. And I think a lot more people will be in that camp as uh, the idea of using data for communication on a mobile phone is even more prevalent with smartphones coming out more and more. Uh, Are we going to see a situation where carriers start charging for particular types of traffic? So, for instance, uh, there was discussion a a couple of weeks ago around uh, um, FaceTime uh, from Apple on, uh, on the iPhone uh, potentially being a service that U.S. carriers would charge you to use. So as you use uh, those Apple services for communicating, they'll recognize the type of data and then will we'll charge you according to how much you use it. Do you think that we might see that with uh, you know, instant messaging uh, over the phone networks and uh, Skype, uh, those types of uh, calling type things where, where we end up with extra charges in the same way that we get charged for an SMS message today. Really, that's just data, but we get charged, you know, a lot for it. Do you think that might swing back into action in New Zealand, or is that are we just way too far past that? Um, I don't think it will, mainly because the inspection techniques that are required. Um, you look at when Telecom had the big time plans, and they were trying to do similar things with that, but not billing for it, but trying to block it. And you need some serious network hardware. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars to be able to take those packets, quickly inspect them, see what's going on and forward them on without adding too much latency, which is a delay. The latency is the time it takes to get from point A to point B. 
So I don't think they will. I know um, Rewind maybe a year or two years ago when VoIP started to sort of kick off and and, we, and people were using VoIP over 3G, Vodafone in their sort of terms and conditions said that we don't really support it and if it works, well, hooray for you. And I know some of the discussions on Geekzone turn to, is Vodafone going to start prioritizing that less to destroy it? But you can still run, and I run calls, three really good VoIP calls over 3G. So I don't think they will do it. I th- I don't know how they're going to bill for it, but things like WhatsApp and, and Viber and those sort of, and FaceTime on, on the Apple OS is going to start to hurt their, their revenue streams because uh, text messaging, um, Pixed as well, which is still around, even though not a lot of people still use it, um, they make a lot of money off those sort of things. And if people are using data to do it and could do it a lot cheaper, um, it's going to start cutting on their bottom lines. So well, how, they, how, how will our, um, our providers you know, make a profit in the future if everyone is doing what Sim does and spends $20 a month for a gig of data and does everything over that and doesn't make any phone calls anymore. I mean, the average user must be spending a lot more than $20 right now. Well, well, firstly, I think we have to acknowledge that it's going to be quite a while before everybody's behaving on their mobile phones like I do or like the, you know, GeekZone uh, followers, uh, forum users do, you know. Most people will be using text messages and phone calls because it's easier. It's what they're used to. So the carriers have a few years, quite a few years, I think, before they'll need to seriously consider that. In that time, they could do, like Nate was saying, build up uh, investment in that technology. I don't think it will ha- go that way either, and I o- honestly don't think people would let it go that way. Uh, under uh, the t- you know Telco com- uh, Commissioner and Commerce Commission, we're, we're doing quite well in terms of encouraging competition. At least that's my view on that. Uh, I think we are. And I don't think we would let it get to a point where we would be giving them money to use, you know, differentiate our services into this is $5 worth of Skype calls and this is $5 worth of, you know, iMessage messages. But, you know, I I still don't have an answer for how are they going to make money and how are they going to support the infrastructure. They'll just have to adapt. There's certainly been talk of this in the U.S. and we see in the U.S. where uh, carriers charge for... Uh, internet sharing from your device or tethering. Now, uh, most devices that we would buy in New Zealand, you know, if there's an option to share your internet. Just to, you know, it allows you to take that 3G signal from your phone and share it on Wi-Fi with your laptop or your tablet, etc. Uh, you know, that's one thing that it seems just in the US that that they're charging extra for that, whereas we haven't seen that in New Zealand. So I guess that's a pretty good sign uh, that. You know, primarily outside of the U.S., we're not seeing that sort of lockdown on these special services because that's that you know means there's quite a close tie-in between the carrier and the device supplier to sort of lock it down in that way, right? Yeah. When the carriers become you know uh, just data delivery services, you know, just dump pipes, then they'll kind of go into more content delivery businesses. They'll want to uh, have you buy more da- uh, data. And they'll also want to have you buy more uh, content. So I think that's maybe where they'll head. That's, again, not a popular choice because we know what happens when you become a vertically integrated market. It's bad for competition. So we'll see what happens. Interesting times ahead. The, uh, I guess the good thing is we're seeing, the, the, you know, from a consumer perspective, we're seeing the cost of carrying a mobile device uh, come down and you're able to do a lot more with it for the same sort of money. You know, if we look back, five years you know or more and i look at what i was spending to run my mobile i was spending a lot more but you know i wasn't able to do any of the sort of you know uh the the level of uh services that i do over my mobile now and just take for granted that you can watch youtube or uh you can down you know do big downloads and 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 have many email accounts coming and going and so on so it's it's definitely a good thing why do you think the so in all the the plans you see that you're getting more text messaging, you're getting more data, you're getting more calling? Is that an indication from the different telcos that Pixting is on its way out, or it's not very heavily used? Because I know um, my partner's mum, when I was hunting around for a new account for her, she does quite a few pics. She likes to take pics of her grandkids and send them to um, my partner, not only my partner but her brothers and sisters. But I couldn't find an account. You know, you can. She sends a lot of text, so you put her on um, text one thousand or whatever it is. But there doesn't seem to be any add-on for pics, and I could not figure it out. And I thought, well, maybe it uses data, but it doesn't. It actually uses its own allocation. So is that a indication from telcos that pics is either a very lucrative business for them, or it's on the way out? 
Um, about two or three years ago, you could see almost every single taco would have a s allocation for about five or ten picks a month kind of thing. Um, I think I noticed that Telecom was the first one to kind of get rid of that little column, and that was about a year and a half ago. I, I just don't think people are pixing as much because they're sending it straight to Facebook, they're sending it straight to Twitter, and people are sharing it over that. It's you know easier, it gets out there more, and it's already on the accounts you want to use. What do people use pics for that, I don't know, maybe sending dirty messages and, you know, old <laughs> people are sending kids pictures? Yeah, I think because, uh, for example, her phone's quite old, so it doesn't have all the nice features Email. that the new ones have. Yeah. So yeah. it must be, yeah, that, that pics is just really old technology and they still have it because it's a bit annoying and some people still use it. And and maybe it's one of those little areas they can actually make a little bit of profit on. So uh, so why not? Because people don't answer, you know, if no one's competing in that space, they might have all decided like, oh, we can actually make make a few dollars out of out of uh, those people that uh, that that send those picture messages so um, yeah why not uh, now talking about mobiles um, tonight's the night uh, for those who are listening in live or, or catch this uh, straight away tonight's the night that uh, the plug uh, sort of gets pulled on uh, on telecom CDMA network they're um, their original um, it was really a a third, was it a third generation network their uh, CDMA network or a 2.75 they called it like something like T3G that was the official uh, that's the technical name for that network yeah and I think they launched it in like 2001 so think back to the phones that you might have seen around 2001 those are pretty much the phones that are w using it up until 2007 when you know XT started coming out yeah yeah I, for one, won't miss the network. The only memories I have off a CDMA phone are those old, crusty, clamshell phones that, you know, sometimes you'd have this button on the side that had a pushy-talk message button that nobody ever used, and uh, I just don't have any actual usage on CDMA. But I, all these people out there, there, there were 300,000 uh, active accounts at the last, uh, qu I think, half-year uh, yearly report for Telecom that still used CDMA. What... What are they doing right now? No, probably scratching their heads when their coverage doesn't work till well, tomorrow. Well, they've been getting warnings and and so on for a long time, and so from uh, from tomorrow, if they try and send messages or make calls, they will they'll you know they'll get a message telling them that the network's been shut down, uh, and uh, telecom have been doing offers to encourage them to sort of move across to uh, to new phones and you know promos and bits and pieces so uh yeah i think one of their bigger ones is um the 79 dollar credit that you get if you move to a skinny account which is quite i'm sorry an xt account which is quite good i mean if you have an old phone lying around it's probably worth going down to your telecom store recycling it and getting some free credit yeah you know yeah. if you can do it tonight before the offer runs out so it runs out tonight does it <laughs> yeah okay isn't it amazing how you can have so many accounts on such an old network and the the comparison i've got is when fpos um, went up a version and even on that you know something as critical as FWAS where you can't take payments from your customers there were so many people that were still stuck on it right when they switched off and then there was they were surprised I don't know how you could be surprised when it was so well publicized I, I wonder how many actual CDMA people go oh we didn't actually even know it was being switched off like when was this decided oh, yeah, well, yeah. I'm, sure there, I'm sure there will be people uh, and you know that's just the um you know the nature of the challenge of of communicating with with everyone, particularly those people that maybe are uh, you know are still the type that uh, haven't figured out how to read a text message on their phone, or their phone stays in their car uh, waiting for an emergency to get used or something. I don't know if there are really that many people around that still operate like that, but the, but there are one or two, right? Yeah, there'll be somebody um, out there that keep keeps a CDMA phone in the back of their glove compartment. I think that's the exact quote that. Uh, the former telecom CEO Paul Reynolds said at the uh, half yearly report the only phones out there that are still on CDMA are just things you chuck in the back of your glove compartment and that's probably mostly true okay well now we've, we've talked about old phone networks that one's gone everyone's got reasonably current and and robust and up-to-date mobile networks now in New Zealand we've got three pretty cool um, networks uh, you know at varying levels but um, you know they're all competing pretty well where are we headed with uh, with broadcast TV now? On the podcast over the, over the last eighteen months or so, we've talked a lot about uh, new technologies like Netflix and ways that people can get content on demand. Uh, you know, there's um, 
uh, you know, in varying countries, there are a lot of uh, services where you can watch TV over the net. And, you know, here in New Zealand, uh, TV3 and, and TVNZ have, uh, have on-demand content straight from their websites. Uh, some of that sort of stuff will work, for instance, with a PlayStation and, uh, and, and other devices. Um, when do you think they're going to turn off um, broadcasting of TV? Is that going to happen? Or is there always going to be uh, tr- you know, traditional sort of TV as we know it? I think once UFB becomes more common... Ultra-fast broadband and, so on, and fibre? Um, yeah. You'll have a, fiber, a little fibre pipe that'll come into your house which will deliver everything. So it'll do your alarm monitoring, um, which you're already working on. It will have your broadband, obviously. It'll have your phone, which will be voice over IP. And then the last one is really broadcast TV. It'll And will it still be on. broadcast? Like, will there still be a 6 o'clock news? Um, I think initially, I, I think that the 6pm news is so ingrained in our culture more than anything. The, the fact that people sit down at 6 o'clock and watch the news. I, I think Prime News having that 5.30 thing is really nice for people who want to get in early, but it's been like that for like how many years but what about say um i don't know uh, csi at whatever time that's on on a particular night is that is that sort of thing still going to be useful or are we going to see a real change where there'll be some type of content that is really time specific like sports like news uh you know special events and so on that will be available at a particular time live or available maybe you know delayed for those that can't catch it at that time but all the other content then becomes on demand as we're seeing with you know the quick flick service that's launched here in new zealand netflix out of the u.s you know Mm. amazon video and so on i think people are going to still be dictated um by their viewing habits and i don't know if it's the right example to use at the moment but look at the olympics there was a a huge uh, furia with nbc look they didn't actually um, show the Olympics opening ceremony live. They waited till it was prime time because they they spent something like a billion dollars on the rights or some ridiculous amount of money, and they wanted the most bang for their bucks. So they knew the most eyes would be in front of the TVs, um, seven o'clock or whatever their prime time is, and so that's when they played it. So I I don't know. I don't know whether people's viewing habits will change because they can do it um, on demand, or we're just such creatures of habit that we will be stuck to those, those set times. Uh, sorry, set, set time slots. It's not just um, us as consumers that are, you know, in this habit. These industries, they're, they've been set up over 70 years to run in a certain way. And, you know, these time slots give them maximum amount of money that they can get out of it. On demand right now does not give them as much money as a primetime over-the-air broadcast does for advertising. So they'll be hesitant to do on demand until there's this mental switch in the advertisers and media buyers' brains that, you know, internet eyes are worth as much as a tv eye and um that will take a while and until that happens the industries that you know create the content that have a lot of infrastructure already set up they're not going to want to move it over because they have something cushy that they're using right now now we're seeing disruptors like quick flicks like netflix like uh spotify and things like that and uh as soon as these companies start creating their own original content we'll see a lot of uh, big shift in the traditional TV companies because they'll want to compete. They'll need to compete. They'll need to keep up because the younger generation will latch onto this and they'll be left with the older generation that aren't spending as much, aren't worth as much. Mm. Well, what I find, I mean, and the other, the other mechanisms there, of course, radio uh, and, and podcasting being sort of, a new, I guess, a newer form of, of radio and, and, and TV in some cases uh you know for me i will usually watch or listen to podcasts not live you know there but sometimes i will and if we look at our percentage of listeners that for the uh new zealand tech podcast you know the large majority of them um are listening in to recording rather than listening in live it's a, you know it's a small percentage you know part of that because we vary a little bit um you know the time that we broadcast but even when we, when we always broadcasted exactly the same time it was always a much smaller percentage that would uh, that would listen in um live so you know i guess there is some variation there according to what type of content it is and and how it's made available how easy it is to listen in live um but i mean do you guys use spotify and other music services rather than listen to the radio for instance for for music m- more often or is that st- is it still mostly the the radio for instance that you would listen to say in the car i don't listen to radio if i can help it 
um, but that's just a personal choice because I don't like all the drivel in between the music. So I either download and buy my music. At one point, I was a very naughty person. I would pirate music. Uh, I kind of see the other side of that now, and I kind of buy my music from iTunes or somewhere cheaper. Uh, I don't like Spotify because I don't have that, uh, that much data uh, that I want to use on that. I'd rather use that for when I want to listen to a podcast, and my music is something that I kind of store and keep. Yeah. But I see a lot of people that have their Spotify on all the time now, mm. or Audio, and now Pandora that's coming, uh, yeah. coming to New Zealand. Yeah. I actually, it's incredible how a service like Spotify, which I hadn't heard of probably a month or two ago, I use on a daily basis and ended up buying the premium account. So I've got it on my, I use it on my mobile. I listen to it on my desktop. The radio function of that is great. You can specify a genre like 80s, which I really like. And it will just randomly play songs. And then if there's a particular song you like, which I think is amazing on Spotify, you can click drag it to a playlist and then on your mobile even if you haven't got data you can sync it wirelessly so you're let's say you're at the gym and you want to listen to it you can and yeah i'm amazed and it integrates really well with facebook so i can see what everyone else is playing and i can also turn it off if i don't want them to be or i don't want to be embarrassed with what i'm listening to just a beaver yeah exactly um but it's an incredible service and the fact that it's so cheap you imagine paying what a dollar a track through iTunes as opposed to I think it costs $12 a month maybe or 15 New Zealand a month mm. it's ridiculously cheap especially if you're sitting on Wi-Fi which I am most of the time sitting at, at yeah. work on the yeah. Wi-Fi and yeah. it just it just works so the world definitely is changing from a media perspective isn't it so yeah probably um, you know is broadcast TV going to end I think probably our answer to that is um, not anytime soon and across the board but um it is a really changing space in terms of uh, you know video and and audio and and how we access it and uh, you know what we're seeing with the likes of Spotify and uh, and podcasts and so on and and uh, you know QuickFlix Netflix is going to continue uh, sort of invading the media space and I guess it's going to sort of flip that on its head eventually uh, because the revenues may not be there that are there today and we're i guess we're already seeing a bit of that the most important thing will be to make sure that content gets here and gets here in a timely fashion and we don't let the likes of sky dictate what kind of content we can watch and that's the battle that we'll kind of fight if we want to have as much on-demand content as the u.s does or in some places in europe you know but even the u.s isn't without its faults uh was it game of thrones which i've, I've never watched and i know nothing about um which i think in, which is an nbc show or an nbc license show you can't hbo oh it's hbo sorry hbo and you can't license anywhere so it was was it the most pirated um series because people just couldn't get it legally and uh, i find it incredible that you can have such a demand and people would happily pay for it, but because they decided to sort of stick their head in the sand and go, no, we're not going to allow anyone to stream it online, that the um, people that wanted it just went and got it. So they missed out on all this, what I thought would be quite a bit of money for, for licensing. Not that I'm encouraging piracy, but if there's such a, a, a strong demand for it, surely you should meet it. There's a site, I think it's like, uh, I'll pay you this much HBO, something along those lines. And they found that people would pay happily $15 a month just for an HBO only online you know, a license or to use. That's a lot of money, but HBO is actually making a lot more money from its deals with uh, cable providers in the US. Yep. And again, like with Sky, there's these content deals kind of strangle how, how far and wide that content can mm. go. My other suggestion is if any listeners haven't tried the um, the VPN thing with Netflix and, and Hulu to do try it out. And a blatant plug for my um, blog I think two or three weeks ago I blogged about how I'd just gotten rid of Sky it was really strange having Sky from from being a young kid to not having Sky and, and just having um, TiVo to record the news and odd free um, TV show and then using a Roku to watch movies and all that sort of stuff and it's it's quite a strange change not having Sky and having stuff on demand but I think that I changed maybe two or three months ago and yeah, it does work well I've been doing works it really well. probably the the better part of the a year now and of course there's a big guide up on the NZ Tech Podcast site on you know some of the uh, methods in which you can actually do that get on board with Netflix and, and other other services how do you guys find the sports 
on uh, when you cut the cable with Sky, how do you find the sports? Because I would not be able to think of a single way to get live, good live sports in New Zealand. Without. Yeah, that was the big vulnerability that I put. I'm not a big sports person. Um, don't really care about I'm, it, to yeah. be honest. And, and I fall into a similar category. So that's one of the areas where, uh, where you know, Sky obviously are able to, uh, you know, particularly with the New Zealand audience, you know, we we're big, we are generally big sports fans. Uh, you know, and and I'll enjoy watching stuff, but not not to the extent that I actually need to have it at have it at home. So the thing too is um, watching sport on Prime, like with the Olympics, is uh, Prime, and I can see it aren't, and I could be wrong. Um, purchasing the proper HD stream. So if you've got my Sky with the HD ticket and an HD TV, which I've got, the sport looks absolutely fantastic. Trying to watch it on free to air and it's upscaled. It you can see the artifacts and it, it just scales terribly. So, if you are a big sport buff, you really can't beat Sky Sports unless you start hunting online for some sort of dosh, uh, dodgy European site that streams Olympics. I don't know. Um, there, there are always strange ways to get certain yeah. content, but to be actually be able to get a, a broad range, then uh, you Stay know, Sky. Sky really own that space at the moment and. Yeah, I think I think that you know that's one of the one of the challenges with uh, you know if you want to move away from Sky and you like sport, yeah, you probably don't have too much choice. Sorry about that, Sim. Yeah. You're too um, sporty for us. That's the problem. You need to spend more t- sad statement. You need to spend more time inside getting your PlayStation turn on. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that that probably just about brings us to the end. There was. Um, Hmm. How's your uh, how's your UFB at home going? Is what I want to know. Very good question. So, ultra fast broadband in my part of town, Any which close is Hearn Bay. Uh, but I've, I've watched the maps fairly closely, and, and it is rolling out pretty quickly. It is starting to roll out pretty quickly uh, now, uh, in in quite a few areas, and it's good to see the the maps of the next sort of twelve months or or so ahead and. Uh, and seeing part, you know, parts not not just around Auckland, but in, in all over the country, uh, where ultra fast broadband is sort of coming soonish, uh, and there'll be a lot of people that will have it over the next twelve months. Uh, but I was very pleased um, when I got back from uh, from overseas to uh, to be able to log in to um, um, the chorus page. And again, we've got a U- uh, ultra fast broadband section on the NZ Tech Podcast site that sort of links to where you can um, look in and, and, and check w- when your address is getting ultra-fast broadband. Um, at the moment, that only lists the ones that are, that are sort of scheduled, and some of them are obviously a lot further, further out. Uh, but I jumped on there, and it confirmed that ultra-fast broadband is available at my address. Uh, so um, I pinged out to uh, to Vodafone, who I'm with at the moment, around their trial, and uh, and they've gone ahead and uh, in the uh, in the process of uh, of getting me uh, me rigged up to ultra fast broadband. So what is what is that process? They just book a time to come and see you and run a so that's uh, some cables out or um, there there are, um, are four providers that are looking after um, ultra fast broadband. In New Zealand, and in my my case, being in uh, in Auckland, um, the um, the provider is Chorus, so they they actually look after the uh, the, the physical uh, infrastructure. They're they're also seventy, I think, around seventy percent of New Zealand altogether. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So they're they're looking after a pretty big uh, pretty big chunk of uh, of New Zealand. Uh, and so that's now in the hands of um, of Chorus to come out and install that. And somebody was around t- today, so it was only yesterday that um, that Vodafone sort of put the order through with Chorus. And then today, somebody's already been out on site, um, just having a look and sort of scoping up what work's going to be required to do. Uh, so I'm reasonably hopeful that by this time next week, um, we'll have ultra fast broadband and and fiber optic internet connection uh running into the house so um we'll wait wait and see i've been waiting for a fair bit of time it's a long time from when they start digging up your street uh to when the service is actually available uh but yeah it's going to be uh it's going to be great just to see what sort of performance that we can get uh, out of that connection from uh from vodafone um now the interesting thing was i'd also filled out a form with orcon 
um, telling them that I wanted ultra-fast broadband as, far, as soon as it was available. Um, I haven't heard anything back from, um, from Morcon about that uh, just yet to say, hey, it's now in your street and we can offer you service. So I don't know whether that's a delay of the information getting from Chorus back to them or, you know, what that hold-up is. But, it, you know, it's sort of interesting that, uh, um, yeah, that I, that I haven't heard anything, though I'm, I'm you know, ha- uh, yeah, sitting on their waiting list. Yeah, maybe um, Orcon are busy with all the customers they say they're going to have by the end of this week. I think the NBR reported earlier, I think Monday, so yesterday, that uh, the Orcon CEO said that they would have about 1,000 customers and 10,000 on the waiting list by the end of this week, which is quite good considering about a week ago they said they only had less than 200 customers yeah i think yeah something like a fortnight ago they had yeah. very few so it has started ramping up very very quickly i've noticed that the uh that the guys doing the installs in the streets and so on have been working really really hard i had a chat to one of the uh contractors for chorus over the weekend in my area and uh he said yeah i don't usually work weekends but they wanted this one you know they wanted they wanted to get this uh, out of the way and and and, and signed off uh, so um, you know they are working. They're working really hard, and I have noticed quite a quite a few times on the weekend that these guys are out uh, are out working to uh, to get the job done. And it seems they've got more and more uh, teams being trained up. So the the team that was uh, working on my street, uh, I think they'd only done one or two other uh, one or two other streets. So they're a brand you know new trained up sort of team that were uh, uh, putting in all the work. So. As time goes on, they'll end up being a really big team that's actually out there able to uh, able to do this stuff, which is is good. And you know, understandably, it takes a while to uh, to ramp that up and train up a workforce at, uh, at at doing something new like installing fiber fiber optic into the uh, into the streets and houses and businesses. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, what we what we don't know too much just yet is. Um, what the plans are going to be from really many other providers the the main um the main two that are um that are that are targeting uh customers around the country are Orcon and also Worldnet who have got sort of you know they've had nationwide um type ultra fast broadband plans available for a while uh but naturally we're going to see the other ones coming on board and there was a note in the letter from um uh, from Vodafone, which sort of tended to suggest that it won't be too far off until they actually launch their uh, launch their plans. official plans. Uh, so that's good news, and you know, hopefully, we'll see something soon uh, soon from you know from from Telecom and uh, and Telstra Clear. The other thing that I think everybody should be aware of and should keep an ear out for is the estimated cost for a non-standard install. Uh, that's when your house is, uh, I think by contract with uh, between Chorus and Crown Fiber more than 15 meters away from the street fiber. It's a non-standard install that could cost either Chorus or the customer uh, a large amount of money. So Chorus are going to announce in September the prices for that, or they say uh, they might announce it in September. So we should keep an ear out for that because that could be reflected in whatever cost uh, is passed on to the end consumer. And those uh, non-standard installs are in the hundreds and into the thousands. So yeah, one recommendation is if you are in the zone to get ultra-fast broadband, is just get on board and get signed up for it uh, because the the deals are really good at the moment. Orcon, of course, are doing a, a sort of a free offer. Um, you know, some of the telcos like Vodafone, there there is potentially a chance to uh, uh, to get involved in their trials. Uh, so you know, if you can get that in and, and installed. Uh, you may end up uh, better off getting it done uh, this year than than waiting further, uh, because a lot of the installs are being done free. That that maybe in the future there might be a charge for. Although, you know, we'll hear more about that um, as Sim says, uh, probably September onwards. Good stuff. All right. Well, that's uh, that's us on this week's NZ Tech podcast. Uh, do remember to um, to jump onto uh, Twitter or Facebook, even. Uh, uh, LinkedIn and to uh, to put a comment up if you're interested in winning that uh, s- uh, Lumia 610. I was going to say 610 Lumia, um, the Lumia 610 from uh, from Nokia New Zealand. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll look forward to catching everybody uh, next week on the NZ Tech Podcast. Now, uh, guys, where do we find you online? Sim. 
Um, my Twitter handle is semantics, S-I-M antics. And you can also, if you guys want to follow Enterprise Tech News, at uh, ComputerWorldNZ for that stuff. Cool. And uh, Mr. Nate Dunn. Uh, mine's really easy. It's just Nate on Twitter or um, NateDunn.com is my blog or on GeekZone. One of the two. Both go same place. Excellent. Excellent. Yep. And um, for me, you can find me on Twitter. Just my name, Paul Spain. Uh, and also my uh, blog is via GeekZone or uh, or you can find uh, find that TechJungle.com uh, will get you there as well as um, I've got a little bit of stuff up on PaulSpain.com as well. So, uh, so that's it. Uh, you can of of course, find uh, find the NZ Tech Podcast at nztechpodcast.com, facebook.com slash nztechpodcast, and twitter.com slash nztechpodcast. So thanks, everybody. We will catch you again next week. Cheers.